You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 163. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hey! How are you guys? Andras, is it early enough for you now? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is this is the first time that we do two recordings while I'm on the go mm-hmm. um, in a row. And, uh, on the, on yeah, the same trip, I'm yeah. G- getting getting used to getting up at uh, half past four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Good work, Andras. Yeah, sorry about my voice. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit bit more than my morning voice. It's just my my traveling voice. Your traveling voice, uh. because of air conditioning and coughing like crazy. Yeah. yeah. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. Always good. It's a late evening for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's not late, late, but it's it's evening. Yeah. 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 It's, it's ten at night for me. Nine for you, Jelena. Hmm? Oh. Okay. All right. Oh guys, I um I have I have good news. Oh god. Ooh. I survived something that I have never thought I would get. <laughs> okay. I still don't know for sure, but when I go home I'm I'm going to have to do the uh, serological test to find out whether I contracted dengue. Oh no. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, isn't it? Wow. How did you what tell us more? You can't just say that. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. You know, um, it, it's it's a tropical disease. Um, it's present in Southeast Asia, and um, actually, unfortunately, it's very frequent um, around here. And um, into about the fourth or fifth day of the, my trip, I started um, having interesting symptoms, flu-like symptoms. Wow. A uh, real flu. I mean, not not the not the man flu. No, not uh, not a not a bad cold. Uh, huh? No, 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 and no, no, yeah, yeah. So it was really much more severe than that. Um, like uh, muscle pain and uh, terrible headache. Do you know that kind of headache when 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 you feel like your eyes are popping out? Uh, yeah, I can imagine. And you can hardly move, and and oh, that, that was terrible. But I must be some kind of a um, genius when it comes to acting, because most of the people never realized anything. <laughs> But when I got got back to my room, it was when I just fell on the bed and started to survive the next couple of hours. But after about seven days, it was gone. But did you didn't you get any treatment or stuff? No, 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 no. Fortunately, I was well enough to walk and didn't have to be hospitalized which suggests that if it really was dengue it was it has four different types and it was the mildest one hmm. that um uh, i i don't know anything about dengue but it sounds to me like you should have checked it up instead of guessing that's probably just a mild mild case of dengue no when i was thinking that oh if it's getting getting worse i'm going to i'm going to go and and see a doctor um at that phase it was starting to get get better mm-hmm. but I, anyway if it's if it's dengue they cannot do anything about it it's just if the symptoms are very bad they can try to if if there's bleeding there's no bleeding if there's bleeding they can they can try stopping it anyway i i have no idea whether it was dengue but i need to figure it out because um a, a second exposure to the disease could be much more severe wow so it's potentially deadly yeah wow when, yeah so um that's cheerful that's cheerful yeah, yeah when i get home the first thing that i have to do is uh, is go go to a serological test wow hooray <laughs> <laughs> So it's definitely it or can it be something else still? It was so much flu like that it was either that or some type of flu but the dengue is much more frequent around here than the flu. So the chances of me um having contracted dengue instead of flu are very high. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 
Oh, all right. Was it good enough? Good enough to cheer you up right away? Uh, no, no, I'm really worried. So, <laughs> but we thought that being travel guide is a safe uh, occupation, but obviously it's pretty dangerous, eh? No, no, yeah, yeah, it's not. So the issue is, imagine if it was dengue, then I should consider whether uh, I come back again mm. to this part of the world. Oh, ever? You, you, I would. <laughs> if I was you, I would. I wouldn't. <laughs> So this is why it's it's important for me to find out whether it was dengue, for real. Oh, and that's the other thing, that for dengue, there is no vaccination so far. Uh, there is something that is very promising. And uh, one of those um, vaccines just got the the pass uh, with, the, with the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration of the USA uh, Advisory Committee. So um, it, it, it was quite a battle. But it's still it's still going on. There are several types of debates whether uh, the Dengvaxia uh, vaccination of Sanofi can be used and uh, how it should be implemented. So yeah, uh, we are still not there yet. So people people could be vaccinated in the future, but uh, currently they are not, and there is no vaccination against. It. All right. Okay. Enough of me and my sickness. Well, if we fall over l- later on in the in the episode, we know what caught you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Mm. So um, quick before Andras dies, let's go on with the show. Exactly. That was my. Mm. That would be my suggestion. Mm. Okay. So, do we want to talk about something much, much better and much more, much more exciting and more much cheerful? More important? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a couple of events coming up um, this year to look forward to, and we've mentioned. Skepcon, right? Yeah. That's happening in, is it in Augsburg? Augsburg? Augsburg, yes, Germany. Yeah. So, unfortunately, it's uh, all in German. So, not for us, I'm afraid. But um, they recently published the complete program. And now, what's uh, also available since the beginning of March is um, the lecture abstracts. Mm-hmm. So, we, we we don't only have the titles and the speaker's name, but also a bit of description uh, of the each talk. Yeah, that's good. So, so we put the 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 link in the show notes so people can go and sure. check it out for themselves. Yes, yep. yes, yes, yes. So, go and check it out, and if you can, go and check out the actual conference as well. Ooh. If you if you speak um, German, yeah, and. You can do lots of interviews and you can share it with us. Thank you very much. (laughs) Anything else? No, I think we should crack on. Okay, I think that's enough of housekeeping for the moment. Um, That means that we are moving on to our first segment, which is, as usual, Yelena talking about something that happened this week in Skepticism. Righty, okay. So um, it is a program that started many, many, many years ago in Italy called Quark um, uh, on the 18th of March, 1981. And um, it was an, a program that was started by Piero Angela. Angela? Angela. Mm-hmm. Piero Angela. Mm-hmm. Piero Angela, uh, who is an Italian, well, television personality, a science educator, just all around... Uh, massive superstar. Massive yeah. superstar, indeed. But he, yeah. he also is known... And a good skeptic, known, yeah. Yes, he's also known to a lot of people because he was a founder of CICAP, which is a, yes. uh, the Comitato Italiano per il Controllo della Affermazione. Wow. Affermazione. Sulle pseudoscience, Italian Committee for the Investigation of Claims of Pseudoscience. Um, <laughs> we meant- it was so cute how you began the name, telling the name in Italian, and the last word, you didn't even bother trying. Pseudoscience. It sounds similar. Um, Pseudoscienza, which- <laughs> this is how they say it. <laughs> Oh boy! It's actually spelled quite uh, similar to English, but yeah, it, um, it, it is, I appreciate yeah. Italian Sorry. is different. <laughs> but we we have mentioned Chicap on various occasions. They have their own event, annual conference. There's lots of talks, educational programs going on, uh, and it's aiming and promoting scientific education, critical thinking, and as well as investigating the actual existence of so-called paranormal phenomena. Still haven't been proven. 
by Chikap or anyone anyone else. Uh, but anyway, so he is the guy. He started off all those years with this program Quark. He seemed to have been driven by this passion to, to disseminate science, but uh, not just that, but the, um, the fact that it needs, science had to be made more accessible to people. So he um, the intention was to uh, aim at the um, most complicated content with the simplest language. So he was trying to convey the scientific theories and, and um, explanations to general public and get them interested and, and fired, fired up about the science and skepticism. And I think he's done a pretty amazing job considering this particular program run from 1981 to 1994 for 35 five years. And then there was a spin-off of this program called Super Quark, which is still running from 1995 up until today. This Great. this this year, well, season last season was season 2018, and I think they still, they kind of carry on because I don't think it's gonna uh, finish. So um, and um, they continued with the same theme of uh, science education, and um, it's one of the beloved um, science TV programs in Italy, um, and we owe it all. Um, to Piero Angel Angel Angela 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 Piero Angela yeah so there we go he's uh, kind of uh, pretty amazing all around to be honest with you and this is um, this is the program very good and he's the loveliest of people I was lucky enough to meet him at uh, Chica Fest two years ago when we were traveling with Susan Gerbic and uh, he is such a humble character. Uh, so approachable, but uh, not technically. Technically, he's he's impossible to approach because everyone wants to gather around him. Like like he's really a massive superstar, and and not only among the elderly people or the or, or, or the people who grew up in, with Quark, but young people like th- teenagers <laughs> are crazy <laughs> about him. And it was so cool. It was it was really funny to see. Mm. Uh, and he's 90 years old. Wow. Yes, he is really knocking on a bit, but I don't think he's slowing down. No, not really. Very much like uh, the amazing Randy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Piero Angela has a son as well, and he's a paleontologist, and um, uh, he's a science popularizer as well, and he's following his father's footsteps, but I mm. don't think he's there when it comes to being popular. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was um, Massimo Polidoro, who's the president and uh, our beloved friend of um, Chica. He said that um, once, yeah, we were having a conversation and he said that once it was very close to Piero Angela being nominated for running for president Ooh, of really? the Republic. He's so popular. Wow. Yeah. Imagine a skeptic. As a president, as of president, a state. that would be good. Mm. I've had some, uh, yeah, they've had some dodgy presidents in the past. Not to take sides, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that would have been much better then. All right. Oh, thank you very much, Elena. That was so refreshing. No problems. Piero Angela, thank you. And that means that we're moving on to our next segment, which is when Pontus pokes poor Pope. Oh, there's nothing poor about the Pope. <laughs> All right. He's very rich, even if he leads a very modest life. I must give him that. So we are going to Poland first, actually. Uh, on the 14th of March, the Polish Catholic Church became the most recent to publish numbers on abuse by their priests. It's almost like a contest nowadays, right? <laughs> well, they're trying to avoid it. The Primate of Poland, and I love that title, Primate of Poland, Wojciech Polak, so I guess he really is Polish with that name, (laughs) he gave a two-hour press conference following uh, a publication of a report revealing that there were 382 cases of abuse in in Poland. Uh, That sounds to me like a low number, but these are the numbers that the Catholic Church themselves are presenting, so we can assume that there's at least 382 cases. The, the Polish Church has long held back on, on, from admitting any wrongdoings, uh, and they've been helped by the conservative government as well, which we have talked about before, the, the government that is. But now they felt the need to come forward, uh, like their colleagues in, in Ireland, in the US, 
and in France and in Germany and in Mexico. So all, all countries, uh, the Catholic Church is now coming forward and, and listing them, which is, I guess, a good thing. It's good that it comes uh, into uh, the public knowledge, but it's upon time. But of course, also in Poland, they, uh, the church claims that this is, of course, not a Catholic problem at all. Uh, Archbishop Stanislav Gadecki said, Pedophilia is not just a problem with, of the church, it's global. On one hand, there is a mass, com- uh, mass promotion of sex. There is a whole industry pumping sexual content. Ooh, juicy. And on the other hand, those that succumb to uh, this uh, are being attacked. The, the oh, juicy was not the quote, that was me. So uh, again, we can. How can we? And now it's me talking. How can we expect the poor priests to behave when we allow all this sex propaganda in our society? Which, of course, is total rubbish. Another archbishop called Marek Jedraszewski, or something like that. He was even worse. He said it would be totalitarian to call for a non-tolerance of abuse. And then he went down uh, to uh, Godwin's Law. Do you know what Godwin's Law is? I don't remember. No? Mm. I, I uh, know I've, I've heard of it many <laughs> times. But Godwin's Law is that sooner or later in a debate, somebody will bring up the Nazis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So this is what Marek Jedraszewski said. When the Nazis fought with, the, fought with Jews, applying a zero-tolerance mentality... It resulted in the Holocaust, he said. Uh So he is implying that either we forgive the priests or we send them to concentration camps. There is nothing in between. That's the only two options we have. It's just amazing. Isn't that a little bit (laughs) far-fetched? Talk about a forced dichotomy. We don't have to either forgive them or send them to concentration camps, the priests. We can actually punish them with reasonable punishments, right? But no, we should forgive them, because otherwise we are just like the Nazis. <laughs> anyway, that, that was from the Catholic Church in Poland. I'm sure we will hear more about it in the future. I have a second story, and this time it concerns Francis himself. He just made a statement. You have to back up a little bit. Ever since the war, World War II, there have been rumors and speculation of uh, the p- Pope at the time, Pius Twelfth, and what he actually did and what what position he took during World War II. He was Pope between uh, 1939 and 1958, and he did speak up publicly against racism and anti-Semitism, but he's also been accused of being too weak in his stance against the, the Nazis. There's even a book about him called Hitler's Pope from 1999, which is, of course, as you can tell, very critical of him. That didn't stop uh, the previous pope, Benedict XVI, to start a process where Pius XII would be canonized to be a saint. But that backfired badly and got really bad uh, PR, so it sort of stopped, that process stopped. But now Francis, and now Francis come into the picture, he has announced that he will unseal the archives of uh, Pius XII, claiming that the Vatican does not fear the past. But my speculation is that this is the first step for Francis to finish the canonization that was started by Benedict. So who knows? Maybe Hitler's Pope will one day become a saint. We will see. Oh, okay. Yeah. Technically, you could call Pius XII Hitler's Pope Mm -hmm. because um, there was an occupation of Rome by the Nazis in 1943. Mm. But the Vatican itself was not occupied, so it was exactly like <laughs> they they managed to stay neutral. Yeah, yeah. But enclaved mm. in an in an otherwise occupied city. Yeah, but I, I think so, call, yeah, I don't know if you could call him Hitler's Pope. I think actually it's it's no, he going held to be him, very. No, what I what I was saying is that he he held him hostage in a way. <laughs> oh oh yeah, that way yeah. But I think yeah. it's actually a good move by Francis now to to release those archives because we want to know what happened and you want to know what. How it really was, but if it turns out that he was, you know, a bit bad, if you can say it that way, and they still fought John and making him a saint, then um, you, you can trust that I will talk about it again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then there's there's another thing uh, that a saint would probably not do, 
like um, hiding things and uh, mm. even burning a couple of documents mm. that could have caused him trouble if the Nazis uh, had occupied um, the Vatican as well. Yeah, still, re- so they, yeah. they didn't want to want the, the 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 Nazis to find a couple of things and get into trouble for it. Mm. All right, we'll see how how it goes. Thank you very much, Pontus. Mm, thank you, Hitler's Pope. Ridiculous. Okay. Let's move on to discussing a couple of news items from around Europe. So, I'd like to kick things off uh, with an article that has got like an international angle more than an, an European, but I think it's it's originated in Europe, therefore relevant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um it's from our our friend's site, Ernst Ernst Blog's website that he recently published on the um, supplement market um, and how uh, somebody called Paul Clayton, Doctor Paul Clayton, announced that most of the supplement market is bogus. But, of course, it's very ironic because he actually is uh, advising Lima, which is a supplement that's being sold in the UK, for £199 for a month worth of supply uh, that consists of seven very random ingredients like creatine, turmeric, lycopene, vitamin D3, that all merge together and have been promoted as a super supplement. New new wave of super supplements is coming, guys. You wait mm-hmm. and see. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. random. Okay, can't can't wait. Very random. At the moment, even if I had two hundred pounds spare, I wouldn't buy it. But it, here here are some of the um, claims that this product is making. It will improve quality of life. It will improve sleep. It will improve immunity. It will reduce inflammation. It will improve your memory. It will improve osteoporosis. Is that the same em- supplement? Yeah, yeah, all the same supplement. It will okay. improve cogn- cognitive function. It will enhance endurance. It will support uh, energy levels. It will improve your hair, skin, and nails. Hmm, it sounds too good to be true. I wonder what that means. Uh, probably that it's all a lot of bo- bollocks. Um, of course, these claims are supported by the fact that there were 197 clinical trials that are done to prove that that's the case. But that's not true. They They completely twisted the reality and the reality of it is that each supplement has been tested on its own at some point in the past what what do you mean by each supplement you said so like separately let's say um at some point vitamin d3 uh there was a trial on vitamin d3 at some point in in, Uh, so this is a combined supplement so uh Yeah. yeah Okay, so the, the, so the different elements of that supplement of, is... That's right. Not, okay. uh, so, so, so therefore, check this out. The Lima supplement, the combination of the seven, have never been tested and have never had trial. And <laughs> the reasoning beca- be, behind the not having trial was very scientific indeed. Because it's indivi- it, each individual supplement has already been tested, they don't need to be testing the combination of one and how it affects... Uh, the bodies of people who's taking those at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it's all good for you. <laughs> In fact, this is this is the quote from Dr. Paul Clayton. In regard to Lima, clinical trials at this stage are not necessary. The whole point of Lima is that each ingredient had already been extensively trailed, uh, trialed and validated. They have selected the best of the best ingredients and amalgamated them to enable consumers to take them all in convenient format. You could quite easily go out and purchase all the ingredients separately. They aren't easy to find and it would mean swallowing up to 12 tablets and capsules a day, but the choice is always yours. And uh, of course, uh, that's very gracious. Yeah, we're not force feeding you this yeah, yeah no. very gracious Obviously. to give us a choice or rather spend 199 pound each huh. well um, let me, let me think what happened to you pound but, um, for how many how many tablets um it's for a monthly supply so 30 tablets a day 30 tablets for 199 oh it's a bargain i know right but so then <laughs> but so then ed zadern proposes his own formula and he says that my ingredients are much better the world's maximum evidence-based extra supplement my, uh, by ed zadern's and it goes like this vitamin c vitamin e collagen coffee aloe vera vitamin c has over 61 medical articles Vitamin E, 2,000 medical articles, collagen, 210,000, etc. 
So then what could be done that this extra super supplement is supported by some, you can amalgamate all these studies and say as a total of all the studies, there were 300,000 scientific articles plus about 1,000 clinical studies. I'm sure he could pick a thousand positive trials from the 300,000 papers. Consequently, as it turns, could charge a thousand pounds for a month's supply. But of course, this would be absolutely wrong, misleading. Well, I don't know if it's immoral, but anyway, bogus. And uh, obvious just ripoff, really. So please don't buy into all this bullshit. Also, please note that it hasn't been studied in, in enough uh, what happens to the uh, actual supplements when you ingest them in this amount of qu- quality quantity rather than for the vitamins being produced via the digestion and via the uh, stomach and etc so a lot of it is just being excreted which means you just um via urine which means you're just paying for a very expensive urine and a lot of it is just uh, very colorful as well huh? it's very colorful it can be very Probably, colorful yeah. as well Probably, mm. and a lot of it is, is not proven to, to do anything. So, uh, I mean, it's just one of those things. But yes, Lima, I've never heard of it before. I will make sure I will never buy one, <laughs> one of these. Uh, how is it spelled? L-Y-M-A. But of course, the problem is that the, all these uh, these things in the supplement market is, is um, bo- uh, boosting now because of the celebrities. Remember how last episode we were talking about celebrities? Don't listen to celebrities. Again. Yeah. The celebrities are on the supplement train and of course a lot of people trying to get on the same train along with Katy Perry, Rita Ora, Gwyneth Paltrow, Rihanna, all of those people. It's Mm. just um, making it worse. But anyways, there we go. Okay. All right, let's go to Sweden. We have a short follow-up to last week where we talked about Elsevier, the scientific publisher which we uh, don't like because they charge an arm and a leg for the publications. It's very, very expensive to and very, very hard for researchers and for the public to get hold of, of very necessary papers. So the update is that the Swedish National Library published a press release on the 15th of March showing the cost in Sweden for 2018 for accessing scientific journals. This is the cost for universities and higher education institutions in Sweden. And the cost was more than 41 million euro for one year alone. Now, all of that didn't go to Elsevier, I think. It doesn't specify in what I've read, but it is a huge cost. And they also say that the real cost is uh, higher because this is just what they were able to verify through documentation and so on. So just to repeat what we said last week is this is a huge problem. If we want researchers to be able to access previous research and to build on other, other researchers' work, we have to have some sort of better system with, with open access or, or at least much cheaper access so that uh, publications are accessible for, for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talking about publications, mm-hmm. I recently came across uh, a publication on the European Journal of Public Health. And um, uh, Jonathan Kennedy, who's the author of, of uh, this paper, uh, tries to find a link between parent reluctance to vaccinate their kids and political populism that's on the rise mm-hmm. in Western Europe. So the the title of the article is Populist Politics and Vaccine Hesitancy in Western Europe, an Analysis of National Level Data. So uh, what he did was taking data from Western European countries. uh, The reason given why it's Western European is because it's a much more uh, reliable um, amount of data uh, present about um, the rise of populism. So uh, they chose um, the 2014 European Parliament elections as the basis to um, determine this and uh, the percentage of people in, in a certain country who vote for populist parties. Well, it was difficult and and the author um, does point out that it's difficult to categorize the parties into populist and non-populist parties because it's it's not a clear clear-cut thing in some cases at least. 
but uh, the reason why they didn't include uh, Eastern European countries is because they have populism much more entangled in the whole fabric of the political their political system, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So it's it's not an, a newly arising thing. It's something that has been there for long. So only countries before the extension of the European Union in 2004 were included. But the other side was a vaccine hesitancy, and the data for that was used uh, from the studies of the Vaccine Confidence Project, which was a project run by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And um, they tried to assess um, how uh, people approach um, vaccines and how confident people are about vaccines and vaccinating their kids. And the results, these results were compared to um, the the data um, from the 2014 European Parliament elections. But the problem is that the results were not conclusive. So even though they say that in the conclusions that um, since both vaccine hesitancy and political populism are driven by similar dynamics, as they put it, and they point at one thing, which is a distrust in elites and experts. Mm. It's, it's an interesting basis for such an argument. But the whole thing originates in an anecdotal evidence uh, that, that suggests that there is a connection between the two. Comparing two results, two statistical results from two different fields and two different uh, surveys, I don't think can be conclusive in any way in, in trying to find out if there is a connection. But, but, but sorry, I, I'm not sure I follow you. Did they find a link or not? First, they say they, that, that they, they find a connection, somewhat of a connection. But then uh, they, they go on that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually difficult to figure it out. But this should have been the, the starting point and saying that hmm. we cannot work with this data. We have to conduct some kind of a survey that measures the two at the same time. Ah, okay. So you have to ask the same people about their way of thinking and not just compare two okay, completely okay. different statistical right. uh, set of data. Yeah, but it's a reasonable assumption that the, the two go in hand, go hand in hand, right? Yes, yes, yes. Mm. But it's based on... on. But that's just an assumption. Uh, mm. Anecdotally based assumption, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, we. I think we do agree that uh, vaccine hesitancy is a problem, it's an issue, and it should be tackled, it should be understood. Uh, the other thing the, that that uh, should be understood and tackled is the rise of uh, political populism. Uh, but uh, what the actual connection between the two is, is still waiting to be proven, yeah. or at least right. given an answer to. Okay, speaking of uh, vaccis- vaccine hesitancy, Let's do a quick uh, measles update, because the measles problem is not going away. In some cases, it's even getting worse. So let's start with one thing. Let's start with France, where there's a report that there's almost 300 cases so far in 2019. 90% of the cases involved non-vaccinated people. So goes to show. If you're if you're not vaccinated, you are vulnerable to measles. Measles is very contagious, and uh, we've said it many times before. The consensus is that you need to have the population not at ninety five percent vaccination rate before you keep uh, the measles in in in, uh, in check. So that's really worrying. Three hundred cases. That seems to me haven't really done the math, but it seems to be an increase of rate in France compared to last year. So and about vaccinations, uh, we mentioned last week that Iceland had their four cases of of uh, measles. It now turns out that all of those four cases were on people who were not vaccinated. So again, mm-hmm. please vaccinate yourself and your kids, everybody. But the worst so far. Uh, when it comes to measles, is like last year, Ukraine. And it's even worse this year than it was last year. Last year in Ukraine, there were 54,000 cases. But already this year, there's been 24,000 cases. So only in two and a half months, 
we're at almost the half of the huge number we had for 12 months last year. And it's looking at why this is happening. Again, it comes back to vaccination rates. Only 54% of newborns uh, in 2018 got their measles vaccinations. Mm. And I just said you have to be on 95%. So this is not going away. It's going to be worse. It's going to accelerate. It is accelerating. And the World Health Organization is very, very worried about this. They are, uh, there is a professor, Mykola Polishuk. Polishuk? I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. But he's the acting president for the, the Red Cross, actually. The Red Cross Society in Ukraine. And he says, and I quote, Ukraine has one of the lowest vaccination rates against measles in the world. And this is very worrying. We are deploying 100 Red Cross volunteers to raise awareness about vaccination and conduct uh, education campaigns to stop the spread of this disease. So the Red Cross is trying to do their part. The World Health Organization is trying to do their thing. But it seems that at the moment they are not winning the, the war here. Mm-hmm. Very, very worrying. There, I forgot to mention, there's 24,000 cases this year, but there's also nine deaths in Ukraine alone for just over two months. Ooh. So this is not a... Uh, again, yeah, it is a terrible disease. It is the, uh, it's, I, I cannot understand people who keep insisting that this is just a benign childhood disease that you actually want every child to have because it makes them stronger. No, in some cases it makes them dead. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. There is one thing definitely that uh, vaccines cause, and that is adults. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. If you want what uh, adults, you 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 vaccinate your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Policies are always important when it comes to um, uh, the the public health issues like vaccination, and um, obviously um, uh, when we try to tackle issues, we try to tackle diseases or uh, uh, want to use vaccinations, we have to use clinical data that uh, has been published. So the more clinical data is published, the more transparent the whole medical system is and um, the whole field of uh, medicine. So this is why it's very important that there are no uh, trials, clinical trials of any sort that remain unpublished that have been conducted. Okay, so um, this is why, and we have talked about them, this is why all trials is fighting very hard to tackle this issue, to try to get all universities, uh, research institutes of any kind to be forced to publish all the data that they have. And it seems like the UK government has uh, heard those uh, calls and uh, actually announced uh, further steps. So um, a national clinical trial transparency strategy is promised to be published later on before the year ends. So um, obviously it only just started, so there's still a long way to go, Mm -hmm. but it's a very important step. So um, clinical trials have been reported not to be reported, if if you know what I mean, <laughs> uh, by by all trials, which has uh, they they have set up uh, a kind of a monitoring system, um, um, a trial watch um, of of some sort, and um, this this is what led to a, a public discussion about this, and uh, the the more public it becomes, the more. Politicians will listen and try to do something about it. I think that's a general rule and strategy that we have to follow. And the the UK government seems to be promising seems to be promising a central monitoring uh, system of all clinical trials conducted in the UK as well, uh, which which would be a great step. And um, I think it was uh, co- um, further commented on by Norman Lamb, um, who's an MP and the cha- Chair of Parliament's Science and Technology Committee. The monitoring scheme has to be funded as well, so the, the government has to, has to back it. But some interesting data about how many clinical trials have not been reported that we know of 
because of uh, all these uh, these these monitoring uh, systems that are already in place. Uh, UK universities have failed to post the results of 254 clinical trials. And by reporting, it means that reporting it to the European registry. And that is just outrageous, I think. Uh, And when it comes to reporting stuff onto the American registry, it's even worse because it's more than eight times that. Mm -hmm. So uh, 1,624 more trials uh, were not reported to the American registry. So it's absolutely terrible. But since... Um, the public outcry and um, um, that discussion uh, in the public eye, um, some universities and some um, institutions have actually started reporting those results, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. So it, it's, it so it's shows helping. that it, it's helping, it works. For mm-hmm. example, the King's College London has n- n- uh, by now posted the results of 96% of its trials mm-hmm. onto the European registry, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good. But... All of it, this is from uh, a website called transparimed.org uh, and all trials as well uh, that uh, the, it, is, it has been uh, mentioned on their website as well. So you know what institute uh, is said to have reported none of uh, the, the 24 due trials that they have conducted? No. Karolinska Instituted. Oh, you're <laughs> kidding me. Jesus Christ, so we talked so much about them. <laughs> Fucking hell. Ay, 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 ay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll give them a call. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. Fix that. And I think uh, all trials people and, and everyone inclu- and involved will uh, appreciate that very much as well. Yeah. Yeah, just, just for, for 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 if listeners have or new new listeners and are not aware, Karolinska is a big research institute in in Stockholm, Sweden, which we have talked about a lot, and they've had problems with things in the past, but we can't go back and reiterate all of that. But yeah, yeah, okay. So I think that's all of the news items that we wanted to discuss uh, this week. So let's move on to the next segment. That is uh, when Pontus tells us who's been really wrong lately. All right, new topic. Uh, Now we're going to leave uh, vaccines and uh, clinical trials and stuff uh, behind. And we were going to talk about blasphemy. In 2014... Two young women entered the Almudena Cathedral in Madrid to protest against the Catholic, the, the Catholic position on abortion and the concept of life starts as, at conception and, and silliness like that. Because that's the, uh, the Catholic Church position. These ladies, uh, Anna Urbina and Carlotta Canovas, uh, they are part of the Febman movement, so their protest uh, took place with uh, no top on and with statements written on on their chests. And they proceeded to chain themselves to the altar uh, in the cathedral and they shouted slogans. There was no sermon or other activity in the cathedral at the time. And uh, the officials, they just closed the doors basically. Uh, for for the 30 minutes it took for them to get someone to cut the chains and after that they were arrested because we cannot have titties in the church. (laughs) But the reason I bring it up now is that they were not charged for disturbing the peace or or something that would you could say would be reasonable in a way. But they were charged according to the Spanish, Spanish article 525 of the penal code which concerns, and I quote, the vilification of religious feelings, dogmas, beliefs, and rituals. Mm-hmm. And that is a crime in Spain. Is it? Yeah, it's basically a blasphemy law. Oh, yeah. You must not hurt the feelings of the poor Christians. In uh, December last year, this uh, trial finally uh, came to an end and they were acquitted. And that was good news. But the verdict was appealed and overturned, and now they were fined 2,160 euros each. Uh, it has been seen by some as a special insult that the sentence was also made public on 8th of March, which is, Women's of course, Day. the International Women's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the defense has declared that they will again appeal this to uh, the Constitutional Court of Spain, which is the body 
well, that interprets the Spanish constitution. And nobody expects the Spanish constitution, right? It's a different thing, uh, Paltus, I think. Yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's kind of a silly joke. Never mind. <laughs> I was thinking of the Inquisition. So uh, what I, why I bring this up is that I think it is an outrage that in Europe today we still have countries that have different kinds of laws against blasphemy, insult or offense uh, of religion. And among those countries, uh, there are we have Austria, Cyprus, Finland, Germany, Greece, Ireland, Italy, Liechtenstein, Montenegro, uh, Poland, Russia, Turkey, United Kingdom, and of course, Spain. Yeah. Yeah. There is a movement trying to get these... Too many. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Are we supposed to be a secular uh, society by now or not? Yeah. There are countries that have removed their blasphemy rules since uh, 2015. Uh, These are Denmark, France, Iceland, Malta and Norway. So good for them. Mm-hmm. Netherlands went earlier, even before that, and, and the rest, I guess, don't have it. But for still having stupid blasphemy laws in 2019, Spain and the other countries that I mentioned get today's prize for being really wrong. Oh, you are being very generous these days, mm-hmm. just handing out handing out prizes to whole yeah, countries. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I okay. have a lot of them, yeah. I have a lot of prizes to give out. You're a powerful man. <laughs> I'm sure they okay. would be very, very concerned about this. But yeah. still, I think some we need to, to talk about this because it's it's really crazy. I'm sure now now, now all of those countries are shitting their pants. Mm. <laughs> they should. Pontus they should. is coming. Pontus is coming. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, all that means that we are almost at the end of the show. Um, Let's run a couple of um, ads uh, to to help our friends out there uh, doing a lot of skeptical work. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, Bigfoot's BS, but the chupacabra is totally the result of top-secret government genetic experiments on a remote island. Taking medical advice from Gwyneth Paltrow, like steaming your lady parts and putting jade eggs all up in there, is a great way to improve your health. Police from around the world regularly use psychics to solve crimes. They just don't talk about it. Spontaneous human combustion is for sure a real thing. I've read all about it on the internet, and I worry someday it's going to happen to me. We all have friends and family who believe these things and much more. Well, if you're a rational thinker who is tired of arguing on social media and never getting anywhere, we have a solution for you. Join the Guerrilla Skepticism and Wikipedia team and we will teach you how to add reliable scientific and skeptical information to the world's number one source of information, Wikipedia. We write new articles and improve existing ones. We remove pseudoscience, paranormal and ultimate claims substituting the actual facts. And we operate in many languages. We've already reached tens of millions of people searching for information, but as you can imagine, we can never do enough. So please join us. All you need is a PC, a Facebook account, and a desire to help educate the planet. In fact, you'll be educating the world while you sleep. Contact us at gsowteam at gmail.com. Guerrilla Skepticism. The time is now. Music by purpleplanet.com. Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. Keep an eye out for those people and their works. Okay, but that concludes our show. And that means that all we have left to do is listen to a very good quote presented by Bjelena. This one is from German professor and former president of Stanford University, Gerard Kasper. He said, 
The search to know has always been characterized by the need to doubt and the need to be critical, including the need to be self-critical. Ooh, nice. Yeah, self-critical, that's the hard part, I think. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. very hard, yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah. Often very hard. Mm. There we go. Very good. Okay, thank you, Yelena. Fuck, <laughs> guys. And indeed, thank both of you. I'd like to thank both of you for uh, joining me today. Mm-hmm. Yelena and Pontus. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Пока-пока. <gasps>